Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Obstacle Course Racer, Evan Preparis. Joining me for this week's episode, my co-host is back, filmmaker Bobby Ross. Bobby, welcome back. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me on again, dude. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the Bobby Ross episodes. I hope other people are too, because I think they're pretty amusing. And uh, we got a we got a special guest on the line. We're gonna introduce him in a second. Quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Yolked. Uh, Yolked makes a uh, it's called Protein's Perfect Partner. So essentially, fertilized egg yolk that's been pasteurized and made you know safe to eat, and it's supposed to increase muscle uh, protein synthesis by three times the amount uh, based off clinical trials. And um, I've been using it for the last like two years. It's awesome. Tastes really good. I actually want to eat like a giant bowl full of it, even though it comes in these like little pouches. But yeah, if you want to check out Yolked, you can head over to Yolked and use code STRENGTH20 for 20% off. And then um, check out their Instagram, Strong. You might see some of the Conquer the Gauntlet pros mixing around on there, doing some obstacles and stuff like that. So yeah, good brand. Uh, I've been hanging out with them and working with them for the last couple of years. So check them out. So Bobby, if you're not familiar with Bobby, he just uh, last month released the Mud Gear commercial, Made Tougher. And he's also the guy who shot the OCR America 2 footage. And he's also the guy who um, has been on the Ultra OCR main commentary the last couple episodes. So yeah, what else? What else you got, Bobby? Uh, yeah, pretty much just a filmmaker. I'm a gaffer and a DP in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I have a good time telling stories about what what whatever I think is interesting at the moment. You know, <laughs> I agree. All right. I look for interesting people doing interesting things, and then I just get really excited and try and make them let me come along while they do those things. And so I get to vicariously live my life through my friends like Evan. Yeah, and speaking of finding interesting people and doing interesting things, uh, that's how we ended up at this podcast because a couple weeks ago, you were like, hey, Evan, let's shoot an action scene. Um, and I was, he's like, you want to drive down to Tulsa in like the middle of the week? And I was like, yeah, I do. So <laughs> fast forward a couple hours and I'm in Tulsa. And he's like, yeah, I have a friend who's an MMA fighter. Um, you guys will fight. And I was like, yeah, cool. No big deal. Just fighting. Just She's going to fight an MMA fighter. So that's who our third guest is, uh, Colt Billingsley. So, Colt, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Colt, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the fight scene and kind of Colt's background. So Colt was a multi-sport athlete growing up, right? So playing things like baseball, basketball, football uh, throughout high school, and then got into wrestling and powerlifting. And then afterwards went on to practice jiu-jitsu for a couple of years and uh, then eventually got into MMA. So has a 1-0 record in professional jiu-jitsu and a 1-0 amateur MMA record. Uh, holds a bronze and silver medal for regional and state tournaments for the American Grappling Federation. So, Colt, welcome. Thank you for having me on, sir. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Now, the so if you haven't seen the footage, uh, we'll drop the link in the show notes, but me and Colt did a fight scene that Bobby uh, directed slash edited slash shot slash basically did everything for. And um, I thought it came out really awesome. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Colt's background, kind of how he got into mixed martial arts and jujitsu and uh, some of what his training is like and kind of how that relates to obstacle course racing. And then we're going to talk about the kind of the second half of the episode. We're going to talk about actually behind the scenes of filming that fight footage. So if you're, if this is your first time listening to the Strength and Speed podcast, it's primarily an obstacle course racing focused podcast. But what we do is because OCR is new, but sports are old, we bring on athletes from other sports and try to pick lessons learned uh, based off their training and, and stuff like that. So uh, Colt, let's start off with your background, right? So how did you end up uh, getting involved in jujitsu and then eventually MMA? Well, man, I mean, I've always been interested in the sport, you know, uh, Back when I was younger and in high school, that was kind of around the time when, you know, we had the guys like Forrest Griffin and, you know, Stephen Bonner had that crazy fight for the ultimate fighter. And, you know, we'd always be going and, you know, going in Hooters and stuff, me and all my friends and, you know, trying to armbar each other and, you know, your buddy's living room and stuff like that. So I'd always been interested in it. But uh, as I got older, uh, I'd experience like I had an experience. I was uh I was basically assaulted physically for no random for randomly at no reason <laughs> one evening. And, uh, you know, I'd had a little bit of wrestling training and stuff. So I, I 
I was able to defend myself in that situation, but uh, afterwards, I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I could have went really, really bad, really quick, you know? So uh, fast forward a couple years later, a man, I was working at a Whole Foods, I was just checking out, you know, people up at the cash register, and a guy comes through, and he had a jujitsu t-shirt on, and I was like, hey, man, that's, that's dope, you train. I've always been interested in that, and he said, yeah, man, you know, he told me about his gym. And uh, told me to come on out, and I went out, and I did a, I did a free, I did a free lesson, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. But I was kind of put off. I was kind of, you know, kind of insecure at the time and everything. So I, I, it took me a while to go back, but I eventually did go back. And after that, I got hooked. I was in there every day, and you know, five, six years later, I'm still training. You know, four times a week or more. I'm in there as much as I can with work and everything, and. Uh, I just, you know, eventually started competing with jujitsu and just doing local tournaments and things like that. And, uh, I convinced the coach, his name's Todd Ryan out at Ryan BJJ. That's where I train in Tulsa. Uh, I convinced Tim to start teaching me some striking cause he had been a professional MMA fighter, you know, years prior before he had opened his gym and everything. So, uh, yeah, just got him to start kind of showing me some striking and this and that. And at that time it was just myself and him, he would, you know, do pads and things with me. But eventually, you know, uh, more and more people start getting interested in it, seeing me train up there with him. And uh, we've got us a pretty solid team now, man. We got two pro fighters and I think four or five AMI fighters on our team right now. So, yeah, things are going good, man. I've been training, like I said, about six years now, I believe. Uh, training MMA maybe about three of those years, I'd say, three or four. Nice, nice. So tell me about like uh, a weekly training schedule for you. Like what do you, you know, how many times are you working on, you know, grappling separately from striking and then kind of putting it all together on a different day? Or are you um, doing all of it all the time? Or are you doing conditioning some days? Like what's a week in your life uh, regarding uh, MMA slash BJJ look like? Right. Well, uh, as far as the grappling aspect, um, yeah, you ha- you separate out your skill sets into different, you know, the, the different classes he'll put on. So usually, you know, I mean, he, he, he has jujitsu. We're a jujitsu gym primarily. So he has jujitsu classes every day. He'll have, you know, beginner classes and advanced classes, you know, that I think they alternate the days that they're on. So, I mean, even on days that I train MMA up there, I'm also training just straight grappling and jujitsu. We also have a, uh, a wrestling coach up there. He does some wrestling classes one day a week so but as far as the training sessions uh you will come in I'll, I'll probably do you know i usually do some fundamental skill work when we come in we'll do about an hour of just like working combinations good technique you know throwing your pun- throwing your punches and foot you know footwork drills things like that and uh the second hour we go into we'll we'll have our jujitsu class and we'll work you'll start out you'll come in you sit and he'll demonstrate technique basically so you know you could be going over various amounts of you know uh techniques that he'll have scheduled and uh he'll show the technique and you drill it with your partner and then for about 30 minutes you just live roll and you kind of try out what you were working on or you can just you know whatever you feel you need to work on it's just live sparring basically and uh, it's what's really great about it in jiu-jitsu is you can spar live at a fast pace, but you don't really risk injuring yourself as much as, say, as, like, striking sparring. Right, so I really enjoy it. Uh, so the, the Army, uh, it was, like, mid, mid to late 90s, switched to a primarily, like, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu type of combatives program because of that reason. Because right. you, could go, you could go hard, and you could do, a, like, essentially a fully resisted opponent and get that like warrior mindset. Um, right, yeah. You know, you like, get the, you get the feel of what it, what a real life scenario is going to be. You know what it's going to be like. And uh, like you said, you're you're not really risking hurting each other so much, and you're you're really getting in those you know that cardio work that you're going to need to compete because you can train at that pace. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you if you grapple, like the first time I ever grappled with someone, I couldn't believe how quickly. I was out of breath, you know, this is like every skill set is like a different type of cardio that you have to develop. Like your your stand up cardio is different from your grappling. That's different from, you know, even just like people like you who do endurance type sports, like that's a whole different cardio set. I feel it's insane. Like how, 
how different activities affect your body. <laughs> right on, right on. And I, you know, I like some of the things you're saying there about, uh, you know, training with a purpose and kind of testing things out. Um, I think for, as an obstacle course racer, we can, um, sometimes we're just kind of blindly going through motions without um, actually like thinking about and breaking things down and trying, trying new techniques during our, our training sessions there. Yeah. Like what are some, what are, what are some techniques that like you train? Like what, what are, what's like an exercise that you would do? So, I mean, specifically for, um, you know, typically after a rest day, I would go to like a ninja gym or an obstacle course racing gym and work on a specific obstacle um, with a low heart rate, just so I get those, that movement down and I build yeah. that muscle memory of success. Right. So a lot like a hard one is the pegboard. So, you know, my first, my, yes. I, I start my training session off and rather than like waiting till I'm exhausted and trying to do the pegboard and like failing a whole bunch and then like losing confidence, I start off with the pegboard and I'll do it a couple of times, you know, five sets of pegboard to uh, build right. that muscle memory and build that pathway of success before moving on to, you know, more, uh, I still use a lot of weights. I'll still do a lot of like strength training and work on back and then, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, using body weight first to kind of exhaust it and then using like machines to, uh, kind of fine tune. And, uh, you know, instead of using a normal pull-up bar on the machine, like a lat pull down machine, I'll you put a rig grip on there. So I'll like put a force five rope or a force five, like a nunchuck and pull down with that. So I'm, my hands in the correct position as it would be for a race. And I'm building that uh, pathway, of, you know, this is how my hand feels using this, grabbing this exact grip, pulling down right. and, uh, you know, generating power that way. See, that's interesting, man, that you say that. I agree 100% as far as you need to approach training your technical aspects, like your actual technique. You need to be fresh when you do that, I feel, to get the best reps out of it, if that makes sense. And that's interesting, too, that you're doing things that are similar to guys. Like, guys will train, you know, grip strength and things like that with jujitsu. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, really, in, you know, how you're approaching your training. That's interesting. Yeah, I actually, I, one of my articles uh, I wrote a couple years ago, I, I compared MMA because uh, a lot of, a lot of like the, from my understanding, a lot of the top MMA guys will have like coaches that are experts on a very narrow field. And then also like a coach that's more of a MMA generalist. And then they kind of, all right, I'm going to train my striking with this guy, train my grappling with this guy. And then I'm going to have another coach that brings it all together. Um, yeah, that's imperative, man. I feel, I feel, uh, in order to, in order to really hit, you know, different levels, you need a specialist to, sh to show you, or at least, you know, someone who's been shown by a specialist, but you, it's, that's imperative in order to really, you know, fine tune your technique. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the special forces, uh, us army special forces is the same thing, right? So they like, we're not the best shooters or the best drivers in the world, but I hire the best shooters to teach me just shooting. And then I hire a different guy who teach me just driving. And then I hire a different guy to teach me, you know, whatever skill set you want, you know, in the world. So basically I, I built like they, they spend all their time focused on this one thing. So they are very, very proficient at it to a, a level that, I, you know, since I'll never get there, but the um, you know, by bringing them in, I can absorb a lot more of that information at a rapid uh, pace. Uh, because we have so many competing interests, you know, cause it's not just like walking into a room and shooting someone, right? Like you need, you got to infill and you got to exfill and you got to plan and you got to, you know, you may need a method to get into the room. So it's a breaching in there. So maybe explosive or mechanical, like it, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. So, uh, which is why we, we use that, uh, specialist approach to train ourselves. Yeah. I feel like it kind of helps to be able to kind of, you know, compartmentalize your different skills. And, and to access them uh, separately, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally, totally. That's so, something that I think that would, would behoove probably a lot of people who are not super serious in like OCR. Say like uh, the idea of, okay, I saw that obstacle is very different from I can do that in my sleep. Yes, yeah, 100%. Even, like, especially like, go ahead. I was going to say even like, obstacles like so when i go to a ctg i've done those obstacles so many times it's like i mean it's muscle memory at that point my my body's just doing like i'm not even thinking while i'm on an obstacle it's just i'm just doing um even if it's a similar obstacle at a different race my pace will be slower just because i'm not used to the the nuances of it right like the thickness of the bar how slippery it might be based on the conditions um so there's 
you know, and I like to practice on those until I become this muscle memory. And then I, I don't, I don't think at all. I just do uh, when I'm going across. Um, little, yeah. yeah, yeah, man, that's, uh, that's similar to like, you know, these combinations and things that you teach yourself and you drill repeatedly. And, you know, even with jujitsu technique, you train these things repeatedly and ad nauseum so that when you're exhausted, you, your body will react and your body will throw it. Like, like you were saying, it is, it's just calling on your muscle memory to perform the task. So, I mean, it's kind of, now that we're getting to talking about this, it's like, man, like <laughs> everything's so similar as far as like how you're approaching your training. Yeah, absolutely. The thing I think about the most with that is, uh, so like I, I made a few videos a couple of years ago about a couple of different obstacles that gave me a lot of, a lot of trouble. One of them of course was Pegatron from Conquer the Gauntlet, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know is basically just a horizontal pegboard where you can't use your legs, right? But the obstacle that gave me the most difficulty before that was the stairway to heaven. Uh, the, the verticality of that meant that if you were to just use your arms like I tend to do because I'm kind of a, a, a large guy, like you get tired very quickly. And so if, you, if your arms are tired and you're already like exhausted and you're breathing hard and you're kind of redlining at your cardio, you have a, it's just not a, an easy obstacle to do until you learn how to incorporate your legs, right? How to do like a good bicycle, how to use your whole body to get from, from one board to the next. And it very quickly became like my best obstacle. And I don't have amazing grip strength or anything. I just really know that movement very well. And I can do it without thinking about it. It just kind of comes naturally now. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, like hearing him talking about that, it's, it's interesting because uh, I feel like in any kind of physical endeavor, like, it's it's like small minute like you know a way you you turn your hip or it's just small movements within your body that make a huge difference as far as how you can perform yeah 100% you know i was i started taking um some martial arts um more seriously last year and uh the number of like it's like you know all right do a roundhouse kick it's like yeah i know how to do a roundhouse kick you just like i, th I swing my leg over but then it's like no, well, your foot's got to be your low. You're like your planting foot's got to be in this position. Your hips have to rotate over. You know, like there's all these little, little like you're saying, all these like tiny movements, and it takes your, you know, what I thought was a strong kick, and really like amplifies it when you actually like fine tune all the little pieces. Um, and right, makes and it's, so much it's kind of stronger. Yeah, yeah. So you know, when you when you decided to to actually fight, right? So you you did your first fight, you won. Um, Take me through some of the uh, mindset you had uh, kind of going into that. With OCR, right, I'm, I'm on a start line. There's 50, 100, maybe several hundred other people there, right? So, like, no one's – not everyone's paying attention to me, right? There Maybe even no one paying attention to me. Um, mm -hmm. When you're in MMA, it's you and one other dude, right? And yep. it's not like they're looking someplace else. Like, they're, they're looking at you, at you too. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, tell me about your mindset going in. No, it's – I mean – Honestly, I felt because this was my first show that I was on, you know, about coming up on two months back. And uh, honestly, I was in a, I had a great mindset going in. I just kind of you, you just got to put yourself in a place of like absolute confidence. And like basically, I, you know, I was telling myself that, like, I'm an expression of everything. And this is how I'm expressing myself to like infinity. And, and if I, if I go out and I give everything in my body and even if I fail, like that's almost even more glorious. Like there's only, there's only glory in this. So, uh, that's kind of how I approached it going out there. So I, you know, I, I, I was surprised really, you know, cause, uh, and I mean, I've done jujitsu competitions in front of people on a big stage, but it's not quite the same as going out to like have a fist fight with somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but it, it really just, it's telling yourself, you know, like, at least for me, and I, I think everyone kind of approaches things differently. And, you know, obviously everyone's, you know, has a different way of perceiving the world or whatever. But uh, really, that that's that's the best way I can explain it. Like, I, every, whatever's going to happen is going to happen because it's supposed to happen, but I'm going to go and I'm going to dump my soul out, basically. And that, yeah, and that's how I did it. And I turned out victorious this time <laughs> nice yeah I, I know i think i feel like a lot of people sometimes don't try stuff because they're afraid of failure right like they're well what happens if i fail it's like well 
you fail, you, you deal with it and you, you move on. You, you try again or you find something else. And, uh, it's, it's not a big, like, I don't know. I don't oh, for sure. I play, uh, and I think Bobby as well, we we're musicians, right? So, uh, it's kind of like if you were practicing a scale and you hit a wrong note and you just fell apart. Oh God, like I can't play anymore. Like it, that wouldn't make it, it doesn't make any sense in, in that aspect. So you, you have to approach everything mm-hmm. like that. So, Oh, I hit a, I hit the wrong note. We're just going to start over, you know? Yeah. I was actually looking on randomly. I saw this quote today. It said, uh, you know, embarrassment is the cost of entry. If you aren't willing to look like a foolish beginner, you'll never become a graceful master. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I actually found something good on Instagram. I, that was, that was off. That was someone posted off Instagram. I was like, Oh, that's actually good. Uh, normally I, I don't typically like Instagram quotes. Uh, I think that's a lot of false motivation, right? Like it's, uh, it's not real motivation. It's like a, it's like a spark, right? It's like, Oh, this is a cool quote. And then you're like, eh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't actually lead to long-term success. Like I think, a, I think a lot of those Instagram quotes, they just don't go anywhere. Right. Like I think it's the person trying to self-motivate themselves um, rather than like actually their expression coming out. But right. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's really great though, because you think about sport in general, uh, I think everybody should do sport. Like, I mean, like, like all three of us have been on sports our entire lives. And I think the best thing about it is, is that it takes you out of like your head, like you're, I could beat that guy to a place where you have to actually try and beat that guy. And you have to confront yourself in a way that you don't in any other, in any other way in part of your life. Like it's, it's completely different. Oh, 100%. Like even, you know, with sports and things, uh, and as far as just like, you know, sports psychology, and how I was talking about, you kind of got to put yourself in just like a, you know, this state of absolute confidence. Like it took, it, even though I've competed in sports since I was a child and I've won games and lost games and this and that, like it took me until honestly, if maybe two years ago to get to a point where it was like, I can, I can achieve things if I, you know, if I attempt them, if that makes sense. Like, it's not just going out to yeah play this game or something. It's, it's, you know, I, if if you make an attempt and you set a goal and you attack it and you come back and you see, you know, these are the things I did wrong and you calculate how you're going to attack it next time, you can only get better. And it's, you know, it's taken me like I'm almost 30 now, you know, and I'm just now realizing that. So I'm, and I'm trying to take that and apply that to all other aspects of my life. Yeah. Good stuff. Now, oh, yeah, I know when we think of MMA, we think there's, like I think people's default is like, all right, there's no absolutely no rules. You just go in there and brawl. Uh, but there, are, I know there are some rules. Is the um, one? Can you tell us some of the rules that are in MMA? And then two, um, if any of them different from like uh, the league or uh, whatever the competition you fought in versus like UFC per se. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the UFC is a professional organization, and there are professional fights that are put on by the organization I fought in. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of different promotions that, you know, put on shows all over at various levels, but, uh, the main rules are between amateur and professional. So if you're, and basically the only difference in amateur and professional is if you accept money for the bout, like if you accept a show basically. Uh, but other than that, if you're an amateur, the only difference in the rules, I believe, are that I, you can't elbow. And obviously, like, you you know, you can't poke people in the eye and you can't, you know, you can't do groin strikes and things like that. Right. But uh, that's the main difference is I believe the only one I can think of is that you can't elbow people until you're a pro, you're, it's a professional bout. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'm, if I'm assuming is the, is the ultimate goal, is your ultimate goal to, like, make it to the UFC or make it to a professional level? Like, what's the – or you just kind of – just kind of – Taking it by year and seeing it where, taking it by feel and seeing it where it goes. Well, yeah, man. Like I said, this, like the even the fight I took, this was kind of like a spiritual or like you know a growth type of thing for me in my life. Is the main reason I took the fight and decided to compete. Uh, so I mean, I'm 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 just riding it where it takes me. I'm I would if I did make it to the UFC, that would be insane and that would be great. But uh, I mean, honestly, Tulsa's MMA scene's kind of blown up. There's quite a few guys. Uh, even a guy that I grew up with out here, you know, in the little ho dunk town that I'm from, 
played basketball with him. He he recently got a UFC contract, so it's not in, inconceivable. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just hard work and fighting and getting in there and correcting your mistakes, <laughs> and then taking it. I guess, I think it's about making smart moves. You know, fighting fighting at the right times and choosing your fights correctly at a certain point. But at the level I'm at right now, I'm I'm still pretty entry level. Right. So I'm at it just to get experience right now. Just get in the cage, get what it feels like to be in a cage. Cause like, you know, I've trained and you spar with people and I've had really hard, you know, they talk about gym wars and stuff like that. I've had really hard sparring sessions and I've, you know, sparred professional level fighters, all kinds of people, but it's not, you can't fake the funk until you get in there. You know what I mean? Like it's not the same. And once you're in there and it's, you know, you're, really trying to put someone out you can't know that feeling until you do it and it's small things like uh the cage i was in was actually really small so like you you have to adjust how you move and how you slip and how the angles you take out from when you're striking and being struck at and things like that but um you know yeah like i said i'm just trying to take it wherever it'll take me and uh have a good time and enjoy it, enjoy the ride while I'm young enough to do it, you know? Yeah. Sounds cool. I actually just finished the audio book called Beast. It's about uh, a bunch of MMA fighters, um, varying levels. Some of them were in the UFC. I think some of them were trying to get in. And it was pretty interesting to see like some of the behind the scenes and some of the psychology of like uh, this guy's interviewing all these fighters and uh, following them on their journey. I think it spanned a couple of years, the actual book. And one of the things I was surprised with though was like the the basic level UFC contract was like, they're calling it eight and eight, which is like you get $8,000 mm-hmm. to show up. And then if yep. you get like $8,000, if you win. And I was like, that's yep. like, that's still not a lot of money for like you getting punched Damn, in the dude. face, right? Like <laughs> if that's your only job, like just getting obliterated in the ring, like that's, yeah. a, that's not a lot of money. And then you'd have to fight several times a year. Right. So like, for sure, yeah. and I mean, most, most people have like, and I think it's changed some since they went to like, you know, they had Reebok and I think they got Venom now as their like main sponsor or whatever. But you two guys had sponsors. So a lot of times guys like I know uh, listening to Brendan Schaub talk, he said that he would get paid more from his sponsors than he did to show and fight. Mm. He'd make $250,000 off all the sponsorships or whatever for the fight in the whole camp and all that. But then, you know, his show money was like a percentage of that. Which is insane to, if you think about, you know, how much money that these organizations generate compared to what they're given to, you know, they, and in the, in the game they you know, they call some people, they call them journeymen, you know, not the huge names, you know, you got your Conor McGregor's and all those kind of guys. And those, it's kind of like you're saying those lower level guys, you know, those lower ranked guys that are kind of fighting their way up still, they, yeah, they don't make a lot of money. <laughs> You know, they make around 10 grand fight, which yeah. to me at my level now, when I hear that, I'm like, damn, you know, yeah, it's a lot. Big, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> if, 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 if that's your only job, um, right. Yeah. But if that's what you're doing slowly, you, you have to, I feel like you have to have sponsorships oh. in order to make that work at, at that level. No, but I, even, even I know, you know, a friend of mine that I was talking about, I say friend, I knew him as a child, but he, uh, he was still work. I believe he was still working a job while he was fighting his, you know, he had three bouts, I think in the UFC and I think he won, maybe, maybe it was only two, but he won, he won them and, uh, he was still working, you know what I mean? In between training, he'd, right. he'd, he'd get up and go train early in the morning. He'd go to work and he'd come train at night and then go home and do it, you know, do it again. So these guys are putting in, you know, it consumes their, their life really, you know? I think that's the norm for like when people say professional sports, people think like baseball, football, where these guys are paying, getting paid multi-million dollar contracts, right? Like I think the norm for most professional sports that aren't like you know one of the big four: hockey, baseball, basketball, football, etc. Um, is like people have day jobs and then they do it on the side and it supplements their income. And then additionally, like you were saying, the sponsorships, like even at at my level in obstacle course racing, I get more benefits from sponsorships than I do from prize money. And I'm not, I'm not winning to be fair. Like I'm not winning um, like the really big payout races, but um, most of my benefit comes from 
sponsors, like an accumulation of sponsors, and then uh, my own strength and speed, essentially my own website that sells, you know, books and apparel and some, some other stuff there. So, I mean, that's how I sustain my uh, quote unquote racing career there. Yeah, man, it's crucial. You got to get those sponsors and build it, you know, and it's just building relationships with those people that, you know, Hey, you'll give me whatever it is for two months outside, you know, going up to my fight or as far as an event that you guys have, do you like travel around a lot? Yeah. So I, I travel around, um, uh, usually driving is the cheapest. Uh, I like to take my family, but, um, you just do like regionally. Yeah. So I'll I'll do regionally for, uh, shorter races. And then for the, like I specialize in kind of 12 and 24 hour stuff. And those Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll typically fly to, um, those ones, those ones I'll travel a little bit further to, uh, but, if if, the, if it's shorter, like if it's 10 miles and lower, I'm typically driving and um, like basically I, I've won a four digit prize before, but once it, when we start getting close to a thousand dollars and above, I still typically the, the bigger names come out and start pushing me off the podium. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I get it. Yeah, man. It's, you know, we were talking about our cardio and stuff and the things we're doing to train our cardio. That was one of the biggest things I noticed shooting this, uh, choreographed scene with bobby was how tired i got and how quickly like trying to do these movements perfectly over and over and kind of you know you're you're doing these movements that aren't you know economic to your to your cardio like you have you have to be very theatrical with the way you're throwing a punch so it you know you're expending more energy with it than you would you know throwing a normal jab you know i've got my jab down to where i can i could throw you know three thousand of those a day if i needed to but then after you know 10 20 minutes of us like "Eh, i think i after i if i threw this i'd react this way and we and you know after about 30 minutes of that i was like man like (laughs) like i'm kind of (laughs) tired yeah the next morning i woke up and i felt like i'd done a race the day before like my you know my back was kind of sore i was like i'm fucking tired like yeah. <laughs> no i'm not even kidding you i felt more beat up than when i had my fight <laughs> no way i'm not i'm not playing yeah like, i woke up that next day and i was like god like my shoulder was sore <laughs> my back's i you know i'm getting up my like, oh my lower back and stuff just from you know doing these kind of abnormal move just movements we're not used to doing you know yeah, I had scrapes on my shoulder. I had like one underneath my left like nipple, <laughs> which I don't even know how that happened. I had cuts on the inside of my right arm. It was um, it was pretty wild. So let's let's start transitioning to that. So um, I we're gonna I, Bobby's been kind of silent for a lot of this. We're gonna start bringing him more into the conversation. So let's let's start with Bobby. You know, where did this idea come from um, to shoot a fight scene, and uh, you know, how did how did that start about? Well. Uh, a big part of it was that I was really, really excited about the new Mortal Kombat movie. Like any other, you know, 30-year-old uh, human being, <laughs> Mortal Kombat is like the coolest thing ever. Like, I mean, I used to like pretend to be Liu Kang uh, through my, you know, entire like, uh, you know, pre-adolescence. And so when the new Mortal Kombat movie came out, I was like, oh, cool. Surely they're not going to just butcher this like every other movie ever. Uh, that is a reboot. Uh, but of course, it came out and I I had some issues with it, which weren't necessarily just the fight scenes. But either way, like I started to get really interested in like, like what goes into actually shooting a fight scene? Because while I had, you know, done punches and like I, I did a, a music video for a band called Lone Wild, which had like a, a couple of pretty big fight scenes. I actually did that with David Mainprice, who uh, runs uh, Battle of the Lions. You can go check that out on a uh, the band Lone Wild's YouTube. It's a fantastic video. We had David like jumping over tables and we actually built a table for him to throw uh, my buddy Aaron through. Uh, But I'd never done like a martial arts fight sequence. And so I just, I I started talking to Evan. Really, I mean, like I just kind of wanted to hang out because I missed him. And (laughs) I was like, why don't you just like drive down and like, let's let's hang out for a day and, and make something crazy. And I could, because I was already working on this essay about like all the things that was wrong about the Mortal Kombat movie, even though I still liked the idea, I still thought, you know, what would it be like to do it ourselves? And that was really the whole point. <laughs> That's really where, where he ended up. And so my, I met Colton on a shoot just like 
two weeks before we were shooting a music video and he happened to be uh, a PA and he ended up being my rigger. Uh, fantastic. It was, it was, we just hit it off and like, I enjoyed hanging out with him. I, I liked him. And I was like, you know what? I know these two guys who can fight in real life. Little did I know how much different screen fighting would be from actually fighting in real life. Yeah. It's wild. So let's, um, you know, so I, I show up to Bobby's and he's like, all right, um, he's shown me all these YouTube videos of like, here's like professional stuntmen and professional fighters, to, like going through movies and kind of nitpicking them and talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, Cause initially I was like, Oh, I come down here. We throw a couple punches. It's no big deal. <laughs> Bobby films some stuff, you know, boom, we're done. And uh, the more bo- videos Bobby showed me about like behind the scenes, the more I was like, dude, we're in way over our heads. Like I have no idea what we're doing. These are professional stuntmen. Like, I don't think we can make this look good. This is what I'm saying. I, I, in my head, I didn't tell Bobby that. And then um, I was like, well, Bob, I'm sure Bobby's got everything like pre-planned out. And uh, we got out there. We were like, all right, here's where we're going to shoot, kind of this playground. And me and Cole get out there. And he's like, all right, let's, uh, let's start figuring things out. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we have no plan. I was like, I don't – you know, in my head, I'm like, I don't think this is going to go well. But, um, yeah, we just started kind of figuring things out. and. Um, you know, when we were the first couple of moves we did, I know me and Colt, like Colt comes out and I mean, you were, I, I know you're holding back, but like you felt so fast to me, like just like throwing some of your jabs at first. I was like, oh damn, I gotta like, <laughs> I gotta like level up a second. And, um, and then we, we also had to like, me and Bobby were talking about this before, like we had to scale, adjust some of the things we did, right? Like you, you know, saying you, we got to throw kind of more theatrical punches and like, you know, you're an MMA guy and a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And when we first started, like, all right, so we throw these punches and it was like, and then we'd immediately go to the ground. And I was like, yeah, I agree with that statement. And it was like, well, we, we can't immediately go to the ground because then, then that makes the fight scene not as good, theatrical. Um, so yeah. <laughs> we do adjust some of the things that we would normally do um, for kind of a real fight. Well, I thought it was interesting. Like, I mean, I'm not near the video editor that Bobby is, but it, it, it was similar to kind of like when you have all this footage and you start cutting it up and moving it around, it kind of just comes together the way it's it should. You know, it just kind of plays itself out when you start messing around with it. And I felt that's kind of how the scene went. Once we kind of started like, ah, if I threw this punch and this kick, I'd react this way and then, you know, we'd fall. It, it, it just kind of started snowballing together after a while so i thought that was really interesting as far as like choreographing it the only thing i thought that was difficult was trying to incorporate the environment into it to try to you know tell more i guess it's to tell more of a story i guess as to what you you know what's going on who's what's around you but i thought that was the most to me that was what was most difficult is like why why, how do I make it look like I would swing on this monkey bar on purpose to kick you or, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I go out of my way to do that, but it looks cool. So how do I incorporate this into this? Yeah. The recording of it was, was kind of wild. I couldn't believe how much, like how much it wasn't just the actors. It was also the, the photographer, the filmmaker uh, and the editor kind of putting all these things together because you know, there was times when we'd throw a punch and my punch would be like, you know, six inches away from Colt. And, uh, you know, based off of the angle and like where the Bobby has the camera, um, the camera can't see that third dimension. So it looks like my fist is going right towards Colt's face and Colt reacts like he got hit. And then it looks like a real punch. Um, you know, I, I it, like the movie magic was just kind of um, just something I'd never really thought of um, when watching other movies. And kind of how that that third the lack of third dimension on a film uh you know makes things look realistic or not realistic type of stuff well, yeah, Bobby, something yeah. you don't really like hear about when it comes to the way that uh you know like big budget hollywood movies work or hollywood or wherever is that there's oftentimes an entire crew specifically made up of stunt people who are doing all of all of the action scenes parallel to all of the story scenes there may even be another camera crew and so the the director of the film the credited director of the film you know quote unquote may not have even had any input on the action it's just the people whose job it is to make action look good and so they may they may film uh, some with the actual actor 
and then some or most of all of the action sequences with a stunt performer. And so the amount of specialization required basically is, is, is just really intense because it's, it's an art form of itself. It's, it's completely separate from just fighting or just filmmaking. It's, a, it's something special and unique. It's a hybrid of the two. So here's something interesting as well. My initial thought when I wanted to say, okay, cool, I want to experiment. I'd like to make a fight scene. So I thought the first thing I thought was I need to find two good fighters. Fortunately, I already did. But what I didn't realize was how little uh, screen fighting actually had to do with actual fighting. It's more like dancing. And so I, I think that that Colt caught on to this really quickly because we're, you know, like we're both musicians. Like, so I kind of wanted to ask Colt, like, you seem to like, like relax into it quickly. How are you thinking about that as an athlete and a musician when it came to timing your punches and kicks and the movements with Evan? Uh, honestly, I mean, I, I don't really know if I really, if I thought about it too much. I just, I would think, you know, how, how do I need to throw, you know, how would I need to throw this to make it look, uh, realistic but at the same time entertaining to see it you know what i mean if that makes any sense yeah <laughs> i guess that's I really that's all i really thought of i was just gonna say you know one of the things i learned uh from this it was kind of i look at action movies differently now uh after filming this is because when like i, I was watching some action movies and they, they cut after every punch like it's like one punch cut one punch cut and i was like are they like now that I've filmed an action sequence, um, kind of like I was like, are they even fighting? Right? Like if you're just throwing one punch and cutting after every one, versus like, you know, me and Cult would throw a couple of punches or you know exchanges back and forth, and then the camera would cut. Um, and uh, honestly, we we could have run through the fight scene probably from start to finish without cutting if we needed to. Um, but we we ended up breaking into segments just to make it easier to shoot uh, to make sure we get all the the right angles and stuff like that. But you know, when I look at fight scenes now, if, if they're cutting after every punch, I'm, I'm less impressed than I used to be. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, I really pushed you guys in that regard because that's something that I have a big problem with when I'm watching movies. And it's not because I'm a snob. Uh, well, maybe it has a little bit to do with that. But it has more to do with the fact that it doesn't feel real anymore, right? Like, if it's just like a cut after every single hit, it doesn't feel like they're actually fighting. I mean, like, people who watch movies, I mean, we're smart to that. We, we've seen that over and over again because we've also seen MMA. We've seen two people actually fighting toe-to-toe. So we, we know what it looks like when people are, are fighting and are really at one another's throats. You, could, you can tell that there's movie magic ha- happening even if you're not cognizant of it, like, presently saying, oh, well, he just cut. He didn't actually do that. When you see people doing... a longer stretches of a fight at once it really does feel like you're actually witnessing a conflict and i think that's really important and why i'm glad i got you guys to do it and one of my favorite fight scenes is uh tony jaw and the protector there's like a seven minute um unbroken shot of him just walking up like a spiral staircase just literally beating the hell out of people and i know in like in asia they don't have the same um they have less safety precautions and they care less about like hurting people. So like Tony Jai is like really laying into some of these dudes, you know, like there's a, I watched a YouTube video of like uh stuntmen react to like that scene in the protector. And they're like, they're like, man, this, like these stunt dudes and Tony Jai are just, just abusing each other uh, nonstop, <laughs> you know, because they had to do that. They had to do that scene several times. Um, Cause you know, I, th- I think they said it was like, I don't, I don't know how many, but he was like, He's like, this is like the fifth or sixth take, you can tell, because like one of the stunt guy has like a bandage on his head already. From like a yeah. pre- he's got like a bandana on his head, but like it's a bandage because he's like previously been been cut open on a previous take. Well, even, even in our stuff, man, like I kicked you in the throat and like I got I took a couple <laughs> knees to the hip and you it, oh man. Like when you accidentally take those shots, when you it, plus on top of opening up your whole body to the shot to sell it. Yeah. Like yeah, I can imagine the injuries these guys sustained, dude. Yeah. And talk a little bit about uh, Cole. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the the difference in a strike 
in, uh, in, in screen fighting versus like, uh, like actually fighting, because like generally, like if you're actually fighting, you, you, you want to leave yourself open for the shortest amount of time, but it's, it's kind of the opposite when you're like doing this, right? Yeah. 100%. Like, uh, it's kind of like the straightest point between, you know, the straightest path between two points is straight, you know what I mean? Between them. So, so when you're throwing a strike, you're trying to throw it as straight as possible. And I was talking about earlier, you want to have like economy of movement. And that's totally the opposite to when you're trying to be three theatrical with a strike. You're open, you know, you're really looping shots and throwing them really wide and with your whole body instead of, you know, pre- with precision to give. And it also, when you, when you do that, you're almost, I felt like I was trying to kind of telepathically let Evan know where my shot was coming next, you know, so he could preemptively like, you know, be able to block and, and, and anticipate where it was coming from. So I, as far as striking for, you know, in sport, you're, you're trying to conceal that kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to not let you know where my strikes are coming from, you know, you're throwing, you know, feints and things like that. And you want it to be quick and you want to like kind of whip your shots back and forth. Like, you know, your the end of your your fist basically is the end of the whip, and with the uh, punches we were throwing and the kicks and things that we were throwing for the video, they were really you know really open, uh, kind of you know I'd have my arm stretched out really wide on a hook instead of you know just raising my elbow and throwing them more from my chin. So I thought that was interesting, but. As far as like the kicks and things that we were throwing, I felt like though, you know, as far as technique on those, though, that was very similar. I didn't really feel like we had to change anything on that. It's more just on the, on the punches you're throwing. Yeah, I agree. The kicks are basically, Evan, how did that feel for you? Is that the same way? Yeah. You know, I'd agree with that. I know when we were like, all right, here's what the next move would be. You know, my initial moves like, all right, well now I'd throw like a jab and then a cross or something like that. But like, it's hard to make that look as good on camera for him to like react. Cause like it's a straight line, right? Like my fist is just going out and coming back right away. Uh, so we ended up throwing a lot more hooks and it, like Colt was saying, like the hooks were, were wider than um, you'd like kind of throw them in real life uh, per se. But yeah, I, I'd agree with that. The, the punches were different. The kicks were basically the same. The only difference is you basically pulled it right at the end. So you don't impact with full force. Um, so you're kind of a little more of like a, like a, like a thrust than a, than a, than a snap at the end is kind of the, really the only difference. And you know, the other thing I'd say, you know, Bobby's like, Oh, I know two guys that can fight. Well, like for, for kind of like the special forces side, right? Like hand to hand fighting is kind of several levels down on the priority list actually. Um, so, you know, any kind of fighting I've picked up is largely due to like personal hobby and vert. There's a little bit from the military, but there's, there's not as much as I think people would uh, normally assume. Right. Cause you know, in the, in the military, the fighting, like hand-to-hand fighting is option three, right? So like option one is if I go into a room and someone starts attacking me, I like, I just take my rifle and I muzzle punch them in the face or wherever I can hit them. And that creates the right. So um, I create space and then I just shoot them. Or option two is if I can't get my rifle free, I draw a sidearm, shoot them, or I pull a knife and stab them. Um, option. And then, you know, also part of option one and two is basically like my buddy comes in and my buddy just shoots the guy who's trying to tackle me. And then option three <laughs> is then you kind of close the distance, achieve the dominant position type of thing. Um, so, you know, we trained it a little bit, but it, it's, there's just a lot more stuff that happens uh, beforehand uh, where that's like, you, you know, your next go-to maneuver. So Yeah, I definitely would think of military like fighting to be more like Jean-Claude Van Damme-esque <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> And it used to be. It definitely used to be. There was like a kind of a stabbing someone's eye out with your thumb if you got to, you know, like. Yeah, like I said, it used to be. It's gone through a couple of different changes. Um, in the mid '90s, they switched to more uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the kind of spirit of core thing. And then in the about 2009 or so, uh, we started to kind of be like, all right, well, the the BJJ works pretty good for the training, but like. We also need to have like a like a tactical course where that basically teaches you those kind of those three options, um, you know. And then it's a little more like guys in pads, and you show up in kit, and you have like a 
dummy rifle and then you kind of like practice those maneuvers more yeah and there's also no rules right like i, I can eye gouge i can bite i can i can stab um um so it's let's see that's literally a fight for your life <laughs> you know yeah are you taught those sorts of things like this just randomly like but like like how to like effectively fight dirty yeah i mean you should be uh so i've never been through i went through the program like 2008 or 2009 when it was primarily uh bjj focused and one of the drills a side note this is just a fun of a funny story one of the drills they teach you is called the clench drill where you're one of the instructors has boxing gloves on and you are supposed to achieve the clench. So you're supposed to essentially lock up with him and take him to the ground. And what it turns into is just like the instructor, just like punching students in the face. <laughs> so um, it's um, the, the only kind of thing stupid about it is he knows you're going for like the clench um, and you're not allowed to strike him. So like, I can't, I can't fake or anything to kind of set him up for like a good takedown. So basically like I'm just running at this dude's legs while he's like pummeling me in the, in the face. Um, it's kind of a side note. They, I think, I think they took that actually out. Uh, but if you have a good instructor, they're they're supposed to teach you all that like dirty uh, fighting type stuff in like the tactical course um, when you actually go through that. And I, there <laughs> there awesome. are guys there are guys that have to use. I've never had to use any of that stuff downrange. Um, the, the closest two stories I have of using hand to hand downrange are one I uh, we were breaching a house with two doors and part of the part of the platoon went straight and then I. I took part of the platoon to the left and I basically hip checked. I basically uh, body breached the door and I, <laughs> I slammed some old, old dude against the wall, like super hard. Cause he was on the other side of the door. Um, and then he just basically went to the ground. So I didn't really have to do anything, but, um, and then the other story is we, we actually, uh, we wanted to confirm that we were at the correct house and uh, we brought the husband in uh, to make sure it was actually the correct house and he wasn't lying to us. And this, the guy's wife um, basically like lunged and grabbed onto him and refused to let go. And we had to like physically like several of the soldiers had to physically pry this woman off of uh, her husband. Cause um, you know, back in Saddam's era, they would take people away and essentially execute them. But we were just taking him away and uh, keeping him for a day or two and then releasing him. So, but we, like, you'd be surprised how hard that woman was holding on to him. It was insane. We had some big dudes trying to pull her <laughs> off. I've never seen anything like it. So. I was just going to say, like, we have 115-pound women that, you know, that, that are – they get up to, like, blue and purple belt in the gym. And, the like, full, the full-grown men, like, 200-and-some-pound men that come in and try to control these women, it's insane. Like, just the knowledge of, like, balance – and with their no, knowledge of balance and leverage and things like that. It, but to think of someone like, oh, I'm, I have to save my husband's life and they're going to grab onto someone. I can't imagine how, how hard it would be to peel someone off someone's body. Yeah, it was, it was surprisingly difficult. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I think the, the best thing about, uh, I mean, just like kind of going back to our fight scene, but incorporating that is that we, we, we weren't really like worried about like, oh, this is a straight wushu fight or like, you know, this is a particular like, uh, like, like set of moves, like particularly because Colt was saying, you know, we were using the, the environments, like we were just doing whatever we thought would look like uh, interesting one and to be able to tell the story. So like as, as long as it was, it was visually interesting, anything, anything goes. So like, like just like Evan was saying, like when I took you guys out there, I didn't really know what it was going to be. And I just kind of said, Hey, what do you think would happen? And then I would only be saying, okay, I think this would look good to the camera. Like, would you, uh, Evan, would you have any input on like what it was like to choreograph the scene and kind of come up with their movements? I'd say we, you know, we just kind of, both of us, I'd say wanted to go to the ground real quick and uh, it just, that just didn't work really well. So we kind of had to adjust and kind of, you know, we we'd throw a couple of combinations and then create something that would create a short break, uh, which would also allow us to kind of rehearse it in smaller chunks um, that way we could kind of rehearse it in chunks and then you kind of put it all together uh, to create a, an entire fight. But I was just saying, I think that also aided in, in how Bobby could, you know, shoot the, if we chopped it up like that and then Bobby was able to shoot the different segments and then kind of string them together. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I, I mean, Bobby would, I don't know if you have any other comments for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, um, it's it's just a dance right like it has to have a rhythm 
from the beginning to end, you're a fight scene is part if it's a part of a bigger movie, right? Well then there's a story that's happening across from the you know, minute one to minute ninety or whatever. Uh, but then there are all like the the microcosms of a story. You move into like the acts, which are, you know, they're between three and five big chunks that you kind of like process writing a film in. But then even within a fight scene, just like any other kind of scene, it has to tell a story within itself. And so some of the things that we did were to break it up into really small chunks so that, you know, it's just like six or seven moves strung together. And then we would take the final movement and choreograph that one in a way to where we can move the camera, right? So then we could find another place to put the camera so that we could keep the action moving, keep your attention uh, kind of on what was happening, but also give you something else to kind of latch on to as we move from kind of one section of the fight to the next. But we also did other things to kind of show what was important from one scene to the next. Like, you know, the the hammer, passing the hammer around was important to show like uh, like power transferring from Evan to Colt to Evan back and forth. And so like, yeah, it was a dance and we broke it up so that we were able to digest it, but also so that we could tell the story from beginning to end. All right, well, let's let's start wrapping it up. I know, uh, one, if you haven't seen the fight scene, definitely go back and watch it. I'm gonna drop the link down below. It's also part of Bobby does like a, you know, long talk on why, you know, some of the problems he had with Mortal Kombat. Side note, I, I, me and Bobby were talking offline. I think I finally realized why I like it. Um, I think it's because the bar has been set so low for video game to movie adaptations. Because <laughs> I, I, I rewatched House of the Dead uh, randomly after playing the arcade game. And um, I was like, this is really terrible. Like, there's like I have to stretch my imagination to even make connections between the video game and the movie, um, and you look at like yes. you look at Mario Brothers, you look at Double Dragon. I mean, House of the Dead, House of the Dead Two, right? Like, just like I've just seen so many video game movies that are, they, they they take almost nothing from their source material. It's like it's just terrible. So I think I finally saw something where they use a lot of the source material, and I was like, this is good enough. Like, yes, success. <laughs> absolutely well i mean like mortal kombat the new movie is is not a complete dumpster fire just like i say it's a really beautiful thing you know like i mean it's really well shot there's some good moments you know like some really funny stuff it's it's not it's not totally bad yeah i was really mortal kombat annihilation bad which is a complete dumpster fire (laughs) it's one of the worst that is one of the worst like martial arts movies i've ever seen period it is the most unintentional comment Oh, it's so the bad. Ever. It's so bad. It doesn't get better with time. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It does not get better with time. All right, let's let's start wrapping it up. Um, any final thoughts, Bobby, for or Colt for the uh, shooting of the fight scene? Ah, uh, no, man. I had a lot of fun. I, I mean, it, it it gave me a new perspective on, you know, the actors that are doing this well. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've been a big fan of like Jet Li movies from the 80s and things like that. And now that I've actually, you know, attempted doing that, seeing the amount of skill and just physical fitness that it takes to do that, it's opened my eyes up to that. I think it's a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to maybe working on that little short that Bobby was talking about getting going. Yeah, Yeah, this little this little thing that we've already made is is was only ever supposed to really kind of be like a like kind of getting our dipping our toes in the pool right like trying to figure out like all right what would go into doing something like this on a little larger scale so we've had a lot of good feedback and i think that it it might be time to uh i don't know maybe do this on a you know like an actual short film so you know who knows big things come from bobby ross and that's just the tip of the iceberg we got some other stuff working in the background that's not public yet so i'm excited um Looking forward to that. Before we get going, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So uh, we'll start off with Colt and then jump to Bobby, and uh, I'll try to figure out something that kind of closely aligns. Uh, I don't know if you'd be surprised about it, but I make beats, man. I already, I mean, we discussed being uh, musicians earlier in the podcast, but yeah, I play the banjo and I make I make beats, man. I make hip hop beats. Oh, cool. Interesting. <laughs> you have a YouTube page or anything, or are you just kind of. Uh... 
I don't. Pers- I got a project I'm working on with a local rapper here in Tulsa. His name's Cavell. Uh, you be the hero he goes by. But uh, he's a very talented artist, and we've got uh, an album that we're working on, so you guys can look forward to seeing that for too long. Cool. We'll try to find a link or something uh, to drop down below if, if when this uh, publishes. Yes, sir. Yes, they can find that. Bobby, any, you got anything? Uh, I absolutely love painting Warhammer miniatures. Like I'm, mm. I'm, <laughs> I love uh, uh, wargaming, and uh, I. I'm a terrible painter, but I like to do it anyway. And so like I've got giant boxes full of paints and paint brushes uh, and a lot of tiny little miniatures lying around. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I did notice the miniatures when I was over at your place. So, but Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I used this one already. My wife, so I'm not artistic at all, but my wife is very artistic. So if you ever come over to my house and see anything that's um, clearly like someone, like someone painted up on the wall or some sort of design it's it's my wife she's like all the art in our house is all is all her um so besides like obviously besides obviously things like a, a, like a movie poster or something like that but um so that that's all that's all her and then one of my friends uh, i went to high school with I, more of an acquaintance now but uh he he's done some pretty cool artwork that i have up in my basement so like the we've like four it's like a four it's called knights of valor basically four knights uh, it's some pretty cool artwork and uh, it's so some, good. Yeah. He's done some mashups with like, um, or uh, he's been like artistic designs for like punch out and uh, rampage. And uh, he did like a hybrid of uh, Contra and super Mario brothers. Um, so I have those prints too, that are, those are in my garage. Uh, name's Anthony Petrie. He also did some work for uh, Nickelodeon. I don't think he still works for them. I think he's just got his private company. So I'll drop that below too. If I can remember to throw all these links. All right, let's start wrapping things up. Cult, any shout-outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, et cetera? Yeah, 100%, man. Uh, Shouts out to Warpath Godwear, uh, Tribal Beast Fitness. Uh, Big shouts out to Green Ice Coffee out in Claremore, Oklahoma. They're great people. And shouts out to Dallas Santos Italian Eatery here in Tulsa. If you're ever around, you need to hop in there, get a little bit of the risotto. Dude, Colt, come over right now. We'll go to Dal Sandra's. Dude, I'm into it. You, we can do it anytime. My homeboy, I train with. He owns that. So, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. But yeah, man, those are a few sponsors that I can think of right off the top of my head that I'd like to shout out. Right on, Bobby. What do you got? Any anything exciting coming up, et cetera? No, y'all just just uh, grinding as always. You can you can check out my YouTube channel if I can get like three thirty more subscribers uh then uh, i can actually call it youtube.com slash bobby ross film but otherwise you can find me at bobby ross film anywhere else and i'm doing work constantly trying to figure out what it would take to make you all like me just a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) right on all right and if uh if you're listening to this for the first time head over to teamstrengthspeed.com so that's the strength and speed website just redesigned part of it so i I used to have like the some of my results and some of my uh, some of my stuff kind of buried a little bit further down in the site. I reorganized it so it was a little bit up more towards the top. Uh, but I got some pretty interesting stuff up there, kind of highlighting some of Bobby's videos and putting them in a little more prominent place so people can find them because they're the best pieces of content that I'm a part of. So uh-huh. I want, wanted to highlight those a little bit more and um, kind of broken down, uh, kind of put through my charity events under there. Um, so. Yeah, um, books oh, are available. We should, yeah, go for we it. should talk about a uh, the new Mudgear spot. It's live on their site, and that stars Evan Preparis. That's true. I, I yeah. So Mudgear, if you haven't seen the Mudgear Made Tougher spot, go watch it. I don't, like I don't even know what you were doing because we shared it to like a thousand groups. So um, <laughs> it's it's on the Mudgear. Go to the Mudgear Facebook page. It's the first thing up there. It's on the Mudgear YouTube page um it's been a whole bunch of ocr groups it's got athletes from conquer the gauntlet pro team uh jay flores amy padgett miranda huber jenny overstreet it's got athletes from strength and speed brenna calvert jacob stone uh some ctg family laura royster's in there um michael giles who uh works with bobby and uh um, that's my ad yeah and then some of the athletes from crossfit unconquered the crossfit gym in fort leavenworth or sorry leavenworth kansas so it came out really good. I'm just, I was just so happy with how it came out. So 
Yeah, man, that thing was real. I thought it looked. I, I I was astonished at how good it was when I saw it. I was like, "Yo, Bobby!" <laughs> I didn't know you were doing it like that. I just met you know we was doing lights, and then I come see some of your camera work. I was like, "Damn, this guy's good, man." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks, so, man. So we'll we'll try to drop all these links down below. Go watch the fight scene between me and Colt, and. Uh, Thank, I'd like to thank Colt. Oh, I'm not going to tell you the ending, but uh, I'd like to thank Colt for giving, graciously um, giving me probably a, a lot more positive context than I would have if I if we actually fought for real. Because uh, oh, come on now. <laughs> so, but it, it was fun, and I, I had a great time doing it. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, hoping we can do something like that again in the future. I think it was just a lot. The whole experience was a lot of fun. So cool. All right, we're gonna wrap things up. Uh, again, teamstrengthspeed.com. My books are available on there too. Um, and my books, Ultra OCR Man is also available on audiobook. And then uh, Bobby's working on some some other documentary type stuff for that. So uh, just be on the lookout. A lot of good stuff coming at you. All right. We're going to get going. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, man. See ya. Later.